So like I was telling the kids, every time there's a youth event or a youth trip, we always gather to pray, usually in the parking lot. So we pray before we leave, or if I'm not going to go, then I gather with the leaders and the kids, and I pray with them before they leave. We gather together in a circle. We all hold hands, which is their favorite part. Not sure uh, what the malfunction there is, but some of, some of them prefer to touch elbows. That's, that's better than holding hands. But, but we reinforce to them that there's power in that connection to one another. Uh, and so uh, we let them, let them live that out however they would like. Anyway, we circle up and we pray for safe travel and blessing from whatever experience that God is calling us to. And when we're finished, I always tell them three things. You heard a little bit of it. I always say, you are representing the church. When you go out, you are representing the church. Represent us well. The second thing I tell them is everyone is involved in everything. There's no lone rangers. There's no odd men out. We are all together. Everyone gets included. There's a place for everyone in our group. And then finally, don't embarrass Jesus. These are the rules of the road for our group. And you may think that I'm being flip with that last one, don't embarrass Jesus, but I truly am not. I don't want them to do anything that will embarrass Jesus. It's a spin on that don't embarrass your mama saying. But we as Christians live to a higher standard. Don't it's impossible to embarrass my mother, FYI. So I have to go with the don't embarrass Jesus. It takes a lot of work to not embarrass Jesus. You have to sacrifice. Imagine the scrutiny that these young people or any of us would put our actions under if we're viewing them through the lens of, will this embarrass Jesus? There may be jokes that are not told. Things that are not said, pranks not pulled, things not done. I have, uh, Hillary blessed me with a sticker that I have on my computer uh, that is, is a very, very formal looking Jesus. And he's leaning to the side as if he's kind of like looking around a door frame at me. And it says, I saw that. And I use, I put it on my computer because social media drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. I'm a reactive person, and when I see people arguing and, and saying mean things on social media, I want to react. And then I, as I look down, pull, my fingers poised over the keys as I'm about to tell somebody something about themselves that they don't know, right to the, the left of my hand, I see, I saw that. Ugh. Don't embarrass Jesus. See, we, the kids know the, the rules. We've gone over it with them. We've had them sign covenants. We've, we've reviewed all of the rules of our group, the standards that we hold them to, the expectations that we have. And so when I'm in the parking lot with them, about to release them into the world, then I only have a few moments to give them these truth nuggets and these little warnings of, 
of what encompasses our expectations. We've told them what we expect from their behavior. We've told them how we expect that they'll treat themselves and other people, how to have respect for adults, respect for their peers, how to listen and not argue and do what you're told and do it the first time and have a good attitude and don't be, you know, teenagers. We've told them all that. And so they know the rules. And for me to stand in the parking lot and go over the litany of, of the law as we've set it out would be ridiculous. They know them. And so I give them these rules of the road. Represent the church well. Include everyone in everything. And don't embarrass Jesus. These are just the overarching rules of the road. And if these young disciples will do these things, then the rest will be taken care of. The rest will be covered. Rules are funny things. They're healthy. They're important. Without them, there is chaos. Sometimes we as humans, or even we as Christians, look at rules as bad things. Sometimes we believe that these rules are set out so that God has a measuring stick to hold us against. Sometimes we believe that God is like that that principal in school or the dean of students or that boss that doesn't like you, so they're always kind of lurking around, waiting to catch you doing something wrong. Sometimes we worry that God is like a gotcha kind of God. Gotcha, I saw that. Sometimes we think God is waiting in the wings to catch us doing things. There's two ways to interpret my Jesus sticker on my computer. There's, aha, I saw that. You're busted. But the way that I see it is, hey, saw that. Is that me and you? Or is that you and you? I see it as an as a act of love and interrupting. Jesus interrupts me being me. And so... We have to move beyond the idea that these rules are a negative thing. That these rules are an opportunity for us to be caught not living up to God's expectation of us. Rather, we need to see rules as an invitation into the shade of grace that Jesus preaches about. When I tell the kids their rules of the road, it's not so I can wait around to catch them breaking the rules. I don't lurk behind them. I have an expectation that they understand that these rules are for their own protection because I love them. I genuinely love them and I want the best for them. And they will be better for having these rules of the road. Rules of the road aren't meant to taunt us or restrain us. They're meant for our protection, our safety, our development. They're meant to ensure calm and peace and order. The Jewish faithful had a lot of rules, 613 rules. As a side note, just because I'm a nerd like this, if you're a Googler like me, I like to Google things and know weird things, there is a, a contemporary Jewish artist, Archie Rand, who has an exhibit that he has shown around the world his collection includes one painting for each of the 613 Jewish laws. 
613 individual paintings to represent the Jewish law. Rand is a contemporary artist, so his work is more contemporary in style, but it's really interesting to look at his interpretation of what the laws meant. 613 laws. If I went around the room right now, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you could tell me the Ten Commandments? All of them. Not just the ones we, we don't murder people. The kids always honor your mother and father. You know, there are ones that jump to the front of our mind. Don't steal. I get that one a lot. How many of us could name all ten? Maybe I could get all ten by the time I went through the room. Because we could popcorn them up. But they knew six hundred and thirteen Jewish laws. Six hundred and thirteen. Because obeying the law was the key to living a good life. Obeying the law was the key to the kingdom of God. And then Jesus came. And then Jesus died, rose again. And then there was a lot of confusion among the Jewish faithful. What does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus has come, that the Messiah has come to fulfill these prophecies? Do the laws still apply? Jesus said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What does that even mean? Jesus also said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you have, heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Is it any wonder that the people were confused? You see, the laws were cut and dry. Right and wrong, black and white, easy to spot, easy to enforce, easy to follow. And then Jesus comes and introduces all of these shades of gray, shades of grace. And the people were confused, rightly so. And even more confused, they were very concerned because obedience to the law meant that they were in right relationship with God. And when they fall, fell short of the law, there was a process, a sacrificial process for them to, to get their right standing back. They knew the procedure. And then all of a sudden, Jesus upset the apple cart. If they did not attend to the law as they had been taught, would they still be the people of God? Would they still have God's favor? Because they had seen what happened to the people that did not have God's favor. And so some of them tried to live with a foot in both communities. Some of them proclaimed their faith in Jesus Christ and said that they believed in the resurrected God and salvation, but they still tried to fulfill the laws of the Jewish faithful just in case. Who can blame them? but you can't truly live in two places. So this instruction guide, these rules of the road that Richard was referencing when he read these kind of popcorn, fast, given, parking lot rules, they were written for the people that they may have a, a new, new guide how to navigate this life. And it was a difficult transition. It was difficult for them to grasp that fulfilling the law was not 
the only priority of their life now. Fulfilling the law was not the only way to worship. It was not the only way to have access to God. Jesus had introduced a new way to connect to God, and it was more difficult for them to understand and to grasp. Black and white can be easier. Right and wrong can bring comfort. Shades of grace is more challenging to define and understand. Jesus came to teach that faith is the main connector between God and humanity. Faith is the connection between this life and eternal life. A true relationship with God was to carry more value than just obedience and faith to the religious exercise of obeying rules and laws. That was hard for them. It's hard for us to understand all of these shades of grace. We don't often offer grace to ourselves, and we seldom offer grace to each other. And so we turn to God's word, such as this in Hebrews, that reinforces these rules of the road, the nitty-gritty, rubber-meets-the-road, don't-embarrass-Jesus type rules to help us define how to live. In our reading today, we hear God call us to hospitality and connection. The reading begins as Richard so embraced, let brotherly love continue. Ja, I'm sorry. Right. Just like I tell the kids, we are living here together in community. Everyone has a place. Everyone is involved in everything. We don't do life alone. We don't do lone rangers. We don't do odd men out. Everyone is wanted. We are part of something bigger than our own identities. We are part of the body of Christ. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And when you're part of something bigger than yourself, you have to check your ego. Brace yourselves. This life is not all about us. I know. It's a lot. It's not all about us. We said it last week. This life that we live, it's not about you. It doesn't even belong to you. And so you need to set yourself aside for the greater good, not for your greatest good. That's what the word is calling us to today. Live a life in connection with your brothers and sisters. Love your neighbor as yourself. The word goes on to talk about those who are in prison and mistreated. Scripture tells us to treat them as if we were seated right next to them, chained up with them, mistreated with them as one body because they are a part of the body of Christ. These words are reminiscent of the directions sent to the people of Corinth. If one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. If your brother or sister is in pain, then you suffer as well. If we're living in connection with one another, we don't rejoice in someone else's suffering. We, don't, we extend our hands so that we can present, be present with them in the midst of suffering. That is church. That is love. That is connection. But when we as Christians don't tend 
to the hurts of others, or even worse, when we hurt others, we embarrass Jesus. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. It's all or nothing. We're in, we're out. Everyone's part of everything. Everyone has a place. These lives we live, the ones that are not ours, they are our chance to represent Christ to people. That's what I mean when I tell the kids that they're representing the church when they go out. They're representing Christ to everyone they come in contact with. And I want them to understand this now before they get much older. How different this world would look if we all lived by the rule of the road that every action in our lives is an opportunity to represent Jesus or to embarrass Jesus. Every action in our lives is an opportunity for us to present or to represent Jesus to someone else. That's why we're judged so harshly as the church. That's why Christians are judged so harshly because we are Jesus' representatives to the world. We are the living body of Christ on earth. Hebrews was written that the people could receive some wisdom and some guidance on how to navigate this new terrain that they were struggling in. But how important are these words for us today? Let brotherly love continue. Be part of the body of Christ. As you read through the scripture, you might be, struck by the somewhat random nature of the instructions. Verse 2 says, be hospitable. Verse 3 instructs how to remember those who are hurting. 4 tells you how to honor your marriage and your marriage vows. 5 jumps to warnings about too much love for money. And you might think, why are these coming so rapid fire and seemingly disconnected? But are they really? Like I said earlier when I was talking about our young disciples, when they're getting ready to leave and I only have a few moments with them, I cut right to the chase and I give them our three rules of the road. That's kind of like what the writer's doing here. The writer says, look, I know you know all 613 laws. I know that you know the rules of our religion and I know that you're now struggling how to live in this Jesus-ness, in this shade of grace. And so here you go. Love one another. Love your brother. Take care of those who are hurting. Honor your relationships. Protect them. Keep your priorities straight. Be content with what you have. Don't be greedy. And if you do those things, it'll take care of the rest. And remember that God is with you because you're going to fail. You see, that's why we needed Jesus. If we could have obeyed the laws, if we could have saved ourselves, then we wouldn't have needed a Savior. God tried that with us. And so God sent us Jesus so you don't need to be afraid even when you fail. These are good rules of the road. Love God with everything that you have, body, mind, soul, mouth, keyboard, 
thumbs, feelings, everything you've got. Love your neighbor. And please, don't embarrass Jesus. Amen? We do this thing called life together. I was in a training yesterday, and they said, what do you love about your church?